0: empire, long divided, must unite. A great dynasty burns. And tyrants rule over the ashes. As the light dims, shadows grow ever darker. Corruption corrupts the future And harmony shatters in the flames of turmoil Yet from the cinders, the powerful and righteous
1: emerge Uh, I'm your host this week, Katia is once again AWOL, because, you know, he doesn't actually like video games. Although this is actually a subject he knows something about, um, but unfortunately he's not here. So we put a uh, blog post up a while ago about video games and board games that address empire and colonization, and apparently y'all have some feels about this subject, because we got a lot of comments, which is super great, Um, and we're going to hopefully address a lot of them today. Before I turn over to Hannah, who's going to explain how this episode came about and introduce our guests, I do want to clarify what we mean when we say criticism and critique on this show, because I think there's still some confusion among the listeners. Critique in criticism in an academic sense is about analysis, not just like complaining, like, this thing is horrible. Uh, so, like, I study early uh, American science fiction, which is which I love as an inter- both as an academic and as a reader. It's really entertaining. It's often really garbage on gender. Um, so a lot of you know, so I can critique its gender politics while I still enjoy it um, as a, as a novel, for example. Uh, so we're not saying that like if you play Civ or if you enjoy you know some of the games we're going to talk about, you are a horrible person and you're pro colonialism or whatever. Um that wasn't the intention. It's that these games present these political and ideological ideas in a certain light, which may come across positively. And as we're going to talk about, we actually have some evidence to support that, um, that we're going to further detail. But that doesn't mean that everyone's experience of that is the same. You can certainly have a completely different experience of a game, feel a lot about it out of it, like learn a lot about history and things like that. But that's not everyone's experience. And so we're talking about Sort of like, what is possible in the gaming? Um, so without further ado, I'm going to turn to Hannah to introduce what exactly we're talking about today. Hannah? Yes. Uh, so
2: this episode actually began probably a year ago, um, because I went out to lunch with, uh, my boyfriend, Josh and my friend, Chris, and I made an offhand to comment. Both who people. Both who are people. Uh, And I, I, our guests guests today. Yes, they are our guests today. Actually, Um, I was going to. I was going to say. um, I'm going to save the surprise. Um, They started talking about Total War, which they both play, and I realized I had no part in this conversation because I do not play Total War. Um, And then I guess it was was this uh, year's recruitment. Uh, Katya and Josh and I were talking to some recruits uh, for the Duke English Department. And we were like, Josh, why do you enjoy these Empire games? And Josh made an offhanded comment uh, that he enjoyed bringing order to his Empire. um, And then started talking about Machiavelli, I might add. And talked about how Machiavelli (laughs) is misunderstood. Machiavelli
0: is misunderstood. I blame the French.
2: So we had a very (laughs) academic discussion that was not just... Being concerned about Josh, though maybe we are a little bit. So we thought it would be a good episode since these games are so pervasive and so many people, including us, uh, enjoy playing them. And, uh, we brought, we brought Josh and Chris on the show. Um, Chris, um, also studies Victorian literature and Josh just became a law graduate. So I think we might have to call him Esquire.
1: So, uh, so welcome back to the show, guys.
0: Hi, everyone. Hello. Cool.
1: Um so we had a first of all, I have some questions because I as one of our helpful comments just pointed out, a lot of the games I talked about um are relatively old. Uh, most of my experience with these games, because I don't play a lot of this genre anymore, was in the 90s. Um Although I will point out that Risk as a board game is still wildly popular and there's a lot of digital versions of it. I play Risk with some of my friends that live in other places. So the idea that these are not still played is a pretty big part of the gaming world like seems a little I guess it like I like I think that they're still really relevant. So like but I don't have a lot of personal experience with like Civ and Total War. So when how old are those games and can you guys talk a little bit about what like what exactly those games are about?
3: Sure. So um so this is Chris speaking, just to put a name to my voice. Um I am I mean I'd say like a a pure fan of real time strategy and turn based strategy games. Uh, Risk is one of the first games like I remember playing in my life. I spent my most recent birthday in a cabin in Vermont playing Risk all day. Like Rise of Nations, which is like an Age of Empires kind of clone, is the first game that I remember playing all the way through in one sitting, um, like in about 12 hours. Uh, Total War is probably my favorite game series of all time, and Age of Empires, according to my Steam page, is like by far the most hours I've spent. Like, it's over the last decade, I've probably played that game for like 400, 500 hours. Um, uh, Josh, that's a lot.
2: Josh has like a thousand something hours. Yeah.
3: Anyway, 700 well, seven, something hours. I, uh, uh a caveat on my on the time that I've logged, I have two different copies of that game somehow. So one has some amount of hours, and the other has like 500.
1: Okay, so you could you're saying you could give Josh a run
3: for his money? Maybe over over the combined. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so like a broad overview, there are I think in the genre of of strategy games or war strategy games, you have turn based strategy games, which is more like Civ. Mm-hmm and real-time uh, tactic games, which is more like Age of Empires. And then you have Total War, which tries to blend those two genres of strategy. So in your turn-based games, you have a broad... You have like a large map, like a world map, and you're it's like Risk where you're managing resources across a large amount of territory, and you do a bunch of actions in your turn, um, and mm-hmm. then you end your turn, and then the other player or the computer player has their turn. Um, and during your turn, you're managing workers to, you know, improve tiles on the map, setting up farms so that you have enough food, setting up mines so that you have gold to trade. This is more in Civ, um, the Civ series.
1: Right. But you're, you're managing whatever land or territory you're dealing with. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's like resource okay. management. Um, but it's, the pace can be a little bit slower, although there are timed versions of Civ. And then in in, in a real time game, the map's a little more condensed, um, like in Age of Empires or Rise of Nations style of real time strategy. It's also resource management, so you're like sending workers around, um, or this is also like Starcraft, uh, to build up resources and then using those resources to essentially, you know, create armies to destroy the other players and then in total war which um I, like I said probably my favorite series you have elements of both so you have like a grand strategy map where you're doing resource management and negotiating diplomacy with with other um players on the map and then you build up your resources and construct armies and then you can march those armies around the map and then when two armies enemy armies encounter each other you get Pushed into a real-time battle where you have your units on the map moving in real time, and you have to manage them and win those battles. Um, so that's sort of a broad overview. Okay. I don't know if Josh has anything else to add.
0: No, that's that's pretty it's a pretty accurate description. No, so,
2: uh, I think that we uh, for like when these games started to answer that question, Civilization was in the nineties. When was Total War? Do either of you know?
3: Uh, so the first Total War game was came out in the late 90s i think it was 97 was shogun total war um like hallmark in my opinion total war became a pretty like substantial force like the first like total war game that was what total war is today no offense to shogun and medieval one total war was rome total war which came out in 2003 i believe and that like the first game where all of those elements sort of came together in a way that was just like amazing in my opinion, like age of Empires um came out in two thousand seven, and then the series continued with uh Shogun Two and Rome Two, which came out I think Rome Two came out in two thousand and fourteen and then they mm-hmm. they have what is it warhammer total war I think is what it's called I'm not a big fantasy genre person, so um, I'm less familiar with that, but the series is continuing today with stuff around that.
0: There's a new uh, game called Three King or Three Kingdoms Total War coming out. I think later this month. Oh yeah, it's set in ancient China.
2: Yeah, and I, as as some of our commenters point out, like Civilization started in the early '90s, and there have been more and more features uh, add to the game, which we can get into in those mechanics and how they interact with. Empire later. But like these, these games might have gotten more complicated so it's more than just capturing territory but they still exist today. And uh, there right. there are lots of board games like Empires, Game of Thrones, like game adaptations which Game of Thrones is all about conquering territory and building an empire. Uh, and uh, our game, uh, Root, which is something we want to talk about later that's all about strategy and war.
1: Well, I think it's important to talk about, so um... You talked about a, li- the, a little bit, like, so in my post, um, I talked about specifically war games, because that's what I'm familiar with. Hannah, you talked a little bit more about, like, cultural imperialism. Um, so, because a lot of people in, the, podca- in the, uh, the comments pointed out that there are other ways of winning the game in games like Civilization. So the idea that it isn't just about getting territories and military conquests, there's also sort of, like, ways to the, win the game through science and culture and things like that. Um, so can you guys talk about what it means to like, basically what, what's the win state in some, a lot of these games?
2: Okay. So civilization specifically, since it seems a lot of people, um, are really familiar with that you can win. And, um, by quoting Civ, the ever popular routes, uh, by a domination victory, uh, in other words, you quote, crush all of your enemies beneath the wheels of your chariot tactic, um Okay, so you, you you conquer the world. Yes. Uh then there's the Great. technology victory, um and this is this is kind of from Sil- Civ five, but it's not just like gaining a bunch of technology. You build a spaceship to send a colony to Alpha Centauri. Then you can you know, you can win by like becoming the most dominant culture. You can win now by like becoming the most dominant religion. So it's not just becoming like a really
1: awesome culture, it's specifically about propagating your culture. Well, right,
2: people want to come visit your monuments, people want right. to adopt a religion. So,
3: so culture, because okay. I'm less right. familiar with, I never got the, so, to um, just be upfront about my experience, I've played mostly Civ Five, and I don't have any of the expansions, so I don't have, I think it's in Brave New World, where they added a lot of the religious elements. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
3: yes yeah, So, so I don't have, um, I don't have experience with that, but like with culture victories, it's about constructing monuments. So, like, the monuments are basically the, you know, wonders of the world. And if you construct enough wonders of the world and you unlock, oh, wait, no, shit. I actually don't remember how you get a culture victory. You get a culture victory by unlocking um
1: But it's not like you're making a really efficient
3: state where like there's no hunger and no crime. Well that's part of it.
2: Okay. I mean the civilization's really good at like you have like good at showing you how to balance like, you need, the you like need local happiness. concerns.
3: You need your constituents to be happy.
1: Okay. So there are there are benevolent, like cool things. It's not just sort of like let's build some statues that are real
3: cool. Yeah, so well, in Civilization, um, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly. It's been at least a year since I've played it. So, but in Civilization, culture is, um, you know, in a way that's typical of games, it's sort of a currency to itself. So mm-hmm. you accrue culture kind of like capital. And then when you get enough of it, you can unlock like social technologies in different, like ideological, camps so um i forget okay. it's like branches i forget what the like actual term is that the game uses but there are i think there are eight mm-hmm. different branches of um social policy social policies that you can what is it josh social policies yeah social policies and i think getting a culture victory you have to fill out four of the eight social pol branches of five it's i, I think it's five. five okay yeah, so that's the like, culture so we played, played a couple ago Um, so, well, and then the branches are, um, like, there are, uh, different ones that are sort of dependent on, um, like how far you've progressed in the game. So, and they're all kind of set, like, kind of binary things. So there's one that's like about, it's like based on ancient Rome. I forget what they're called. I am embarrassed about this. And I apologize to the true fans of the game who know more than me. Um, and <laughs> roast me in the comments, but I mean, i would assuming we we're all going to get roasted in the comments.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: you know, some of us are women daring to talk about board games and video games. So
1: I didn't mean, <laughs> Some of the commenters <laughs> were also women. No, so, no, like, no, it, no, no, it, no. No. No, no, I
2: just, I just meant that anytime one talks about games on the internet.
3: Oh, right. But you can like, you can pursue like more liberal policies. You can pursue like a mercantile policy, and that'll give you bonuses. With your trade, but it all it has a negative effect on like your civil your population's happiness, for example. That's not the exact thing.
1: Okay, because the thing that we were talking about in the post, and sort of like what we were thinking about in our conversations leading up this episode, was like how these games present empire. And I mean, empire is not just military conquest and like getting territories. I mean, I was thinking of like Francis Bonneau, for example, who's like a, a Algerian, 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 um, psychiatrist and philosopher, revolutionary that talks about actually like one of the most insidious parts of colonization and empire is that it actually changes how colonized peoples think about themselves. So he like uses examples where he's talking about like people that are dark skinned, like fantasizing about living in mountains and being rosy cheeks, despite the fact that they have dark skin and, that's not really a thing. They're basically fantasizing about the lives that they would have if they were sort of like Swiss children in the mountains, which is completely outside of their experience and their culture, because they've been taught that the the, the the culture of a colonizer is better. So when people... I mean, it was really interesting to me, people were talking about like that you could win through culture and through science that a lot of post-colonial scholars would actually argue that those methods of colonization are actually much more insidious than just military conquest, because... Like, like, basically, empire is not just violence. And maybe, Hannah, this is where you want to jump in and talk about a little bit more, like, what we mean when we talk about empire.
2: I, I mean, like, uh, Edward Said published a book called Culture and Imperialism a few mm-hmm. years after the first Civ game came out uh, in 1993. And he said that, of course, the main battle imperialism is over land. But when it came to who owned the land, who had the right to settle and work on it, who kept it going, who won it back, and who now plans its future, these issues were reflected, contested, and even for a time decided in narrative. In time, culture comes to be associated often aggressively with the nation or the state. This differentiates us from them almost with some degree of xenophobia. Culture in this sense is a source of identity and a rather combative one at that. Right.
1: So so like narrative is basically like determining how we think about ourselves and who we are and who other people are.
2: And that means that these games are actually rather powerful because they portray the history of America, of Europe, of these other nations. Uh, like, you can, you can play as India in Civ uh, and Gandhi is like the leader, uh, which is very strange because Gandhi himself... Was anti-imperialist.
1: Uh, to put it. Wait, let me get this you, you could be Gandhi and building an empire as Gandhi. Yes. Josh, you want to talk about that? My mind was just blown.
0: <laughs> so we, Hannah and I, booted up Civ Five a couple days ago and and played a couple hours, and just just at the beginning, like the there's a description of of like India in the game. would we, we like copied part of it. Uh, but it describes, like, yeah, here is India. You play as Gandhi. It's described as a spiritual country, a passionate land of music and color with great wealth and grinding poverty.
1: Great. So, like, classic Orientalism. Right. Gotcha.
0: And it talks about how the English arrived, and through a combination of shrewd diplomacy and technological superiority, they conquered your fragmented country. And then England remained in power. For- Sorry, you can't hear this. My jaw just dropped. <laughs> yeah. So, so, it's talking about, <laughs> the, the the blurb is speaking at you as if you are this country. And then it, continued. Okay. it continues, England remained in power for some two centuries until driven out by rising by a rising wave of Indian nationalism and a peaceful rebellion unlike any before seen in history. And then it encourages you to kind of honor this great cultural heritage and build your own civilization.
2: that can stand the test of time. That's the tagline: I'm building an empire slash civilization. that can stand the test of time. Uh, I met with mine and Chris's advisor uh, Monday, actually, and I was explaining Civ Five to her and playing as Gandhi. And she just stared at me with wide eyes and was like,
1: what? <laughs> That's, like, kind of fascinating. It's also, yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting point, because it's, like, that is, like, a perversion of, like, what Gandhi stood for in sort of, like, I mean, even the way that you're, like, Josh, you're talking about the way that it, like, narrates how, you know, the British Empire sort of, like, colonized India as, like, oh, they were technologically culturally superior, and it's like, well, uh, not exactly, guys. Like it's, it's like making it sound, at least, at least from that blurb, it's making it sound like, oh, the British Empire was, like, not all that bad.
2: I mean, this is the thing about these games, right? Like, Sid Meier is, like, a Canadian-American, um, I, I, and he, I think, uh, and I think he's both, and he um, has had, like, all former colonies. He, like, uh, has had <laughs> some problems with, like, the design of, other non-white cultures because as one of our commenters and I apologize if I mispronounce your name, but Chintay Pruitt, um, you know, uh, pointed out that actually like Native American tribes have had like a history with civilization. The, the Pueblo were going to be in the game and then he like contacted them and they said, nope, don't want to do this. And so he then decided to
1: oh, um what were their reasons just it, like they didn't want their culture represented in this way or
2: uh, in like a you know a mark a game that was like going to be marketed for like money and we and in the show notes we have a couple of articles that discuss like the history of like indigenous peoples representation and civilization and we can link to them if you're interested in more right but to replace the pueblo Sid Meier uh had this to say I knew that I was going to do a Western North American tribe, and one of the things I wanted to stay away from was overlapping with the Zulu, who were perceived as natives, aggressive natives. Oh, sorry, this is not my, this is uh, another person who was from the game, Lewis. The Sioux fell fall into that same bucket. That's why initially I wanted to have another Civ that was sort of like a native that was more peaceful, which is where the Pueblo fit in very well. Here are the natives, but they interact with you very differently. The Pueblo would be more spiritual, religious Western Civ. When that got axed, we moved on to the Shone, and it was like, we wanted them to be strong and proud, but we didn't want them to be guys with spears. So, that's just, you know, full of stereotypes um about Indigenous right. people. Right. Um, so, it's both like
1: these communities basically said, like, hey, we don't want our culture appropriated for, like, a commercial game that presumably they would see limited money from, if anything. Yeah. And then, on top of that, like, we don't like the way we're being represented because it's basically, yeah, like, a, a series of, like, historical stereotypes. And I mean, and that's a problem with like not just this genre of games, like gaming games all over, because part of the challenge in simulating actual events and people is a game is relatively limited. You're not going to simulate all of global history or all the complexity of a specific culture. So you do have to be reductive. But I think in some ways, how that sort of like reductive, you know, the, the blurb about India is a perfect example. Basically, the, the elements you focus on, in a single paragraph to characterize a specific country in their history, I think it's kind of telling with like how the designers are imagining the world that they're creating. Because the world that they're creating is not the same as the actual world, right? They're creating a simulation of something that exists. And there's a bunch of like, basically like ideological nuggets built into that. Which is why we want to talk about pop culture. Because a few people were uh, in the comments were addressing like, well, this is a game you play for entertainment like not for critical stuff and like critical input and thinking about empire, which is totally true. And I think that's part of why for me, it's really important and interesting to think about these things because entertainment is often a way of basically passing ideology an ideological message on whether you're intending to or not. We're not saying that Sid Myers is trying to like, be like, oh, it was great. I think regardless of his intention, I think he's created a lot of games that at best I would say, like, present Empire in an ambivalent light, which I think is concerning.
2: I, I also would say that Sid Meier's, like, main philosophy is play making games that are fun, uh, which is great for right. players, but it also, like, brings up concerns with this ideologies. Uh, another, like, uh, indigenous tribe, the Cree, uh, had Chief Poundmaker included in Civ, and they didn't contact um, the Cree, and so the head um, of the Cree uh, later protested, and he said the reason was exactly what you're talking about. Quote, this game continues to promote some of these ideologies that are connected to concepts of colonialism, imperialism, and the doctrine of discovery which are totally contrary to the beliefs and values of Chief townmaker and many other indigenous leaders around the world for that matter. So he's addressing what we talked about with Gandhi as well.
1: Right. So it's basically, yeah, it's like rewriting history to be a certain way. I mean, this is even something I may have brought up on a previous episode, but there's a character in Fallout 4 that's loosely based off of Marcus Garvey, who was basically anti- like anti-American um, and Western imperialism, and particularly in the Caribbean, rebuilding American colonies in a... American Revolutionary uniform, and I've shown this to some people who are scholars of Marcus Garvey, and they have—they just look at me like I'm insane, and like this exists, and I'm like, "Yes, it does." Um, so this kind of stuff happens quite regularly, and I don't think it's an intentional thing. And I think in a lot of cases, these developers actually have like good intention; they're just not deployed always as effectively as it could be.
3: Yeah, I would just say that like the intention of the game, and and it's it's like. This is, I think, aligned with the point that you're making, It's that the point, the intention of the game developers is to construct a balanced game, and in are I mean, like, in Civ, you know, um, like, every culture is reduced to some, every Civ is reduced to, like, three key elements mm-hmm. that, you know, that are, like, they're either aggressive or peaceful or somewhere in between. And they're either, you know, military focused or science focused or culture focused. And like you said, I mean, the the ideological implications of those decisions aren't really um, examined much. It's just about, you know, gameplay. Yeah. And, that, and the actual like ideology of the blind spot, you know, of the game itself.
1: Yeah, and there's been a lot of discussion in the game studies world, um, specifically more about, like, the simulation of communities of color, which I guess goes back to the, uh, sort of Indian, uh, issue that Hannah raised, that if you want to, for example, make games that are critical of slavery or imperialism and things like that, there's been a growing trend to make those basically, in, in order to basically not further harm these communities, like a lot of those games have turned to fantasy or science fiction and have made these races, like, other than obvious parodies or, like, representations of an actual extant culture. So, for example, you see, like, the, there's like, a, uh, the, what happens with the dark elves in Skyrim, which I think that it's still definitely open to critique, because as we've mentioned on the show previously, everything is open to critique. Uh, but I think that that's an interesting way to think about it is it's like the problem is not just that this is game of simulating empire, but it's also characterizing peoples and places that actually exist. And that has, I think, a different cultural impact and a different set of stakes to it than just making a game that's about empire that might be set in a fantastic realm.
2: Yeah, and I also have to say that there is, like, you know, some games like Good Society that ignore uncomfortable things like racial prejudice, slavery, or empire. Uh, Good Society, for those of you who have not heard me talk about is the Jane Austen role-play game uh, that came out last year. So they they just ignore it and move on instead of, like, having to deal with it. Though Some games do deal with slavery, um, and Josh has thoughts about that.
0: I do. Um, So Civilization doesn't – it has kind of skirted a – I think earlier versions of the game had like the Aztecs who okay. could conquer you could capture enemy units and like you would gain production, which is which helps you build buildings or other military units. So it was it was okay. kind of hinting at like the sacrifice the, the the religious sacrifice of like captives. But they, they kind of really didn't touch on slavery beyond that. Um, I think other factions had uh like the early two thousands versions of the games, they had uh, like some military units called like abolitionists and slavers. But they have they've largely like just kind of ignored slavery in the sim games since then.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Pivoting over to Total War, uh my my favorite game uh, Empire Total War actually does kind of address slavery a little bit. So so and when you're building your economy in the game, you construct buildings and you can you can double click on a building to open up a little text box explaining like the history of this particular type of building like a plantation. That's cool. Yeah, a plantation or, uh, you know, a cannon foundry or something. And you gain, you, you learn a little historical information while playing the game. But so Hannah and I, Hannah and I booted up Empire last night just to, just to give her a quick tutorial. And we realized how glib the game is about slavery. It just kind of accepts it as a given. Like, oh, and there was slavery. Moving on. Let's talk about indentured servitude. This is a fascinating aspect of European culture. <laughs> you know. Oh
1: really? Yeah. And, okay. it's like, and also
0: slavery existed, but, but you know, let's talk about indentured servitude and the history of that in medieval England and how that. Yeah. So I'm imagining they're not like simulating the like damage of the transatlantic slave trade. They, they don't. I mean, so there is, there is one, so there's a, there's a technology, like a lot of games, there's a technology tree. You, you spend several a large part of the game researching new technologies to, to improve your military or economy and buried yeah. in the tech tree at the very bottom an empire total war is abolition of slavery which most of these things give you some sort of bonus and it, abolition of slavery really doesn't it gives i think it gives you a little more money per turn from certain buildings but it
1: so wait and this is also considered a technology
0: yes so, Well, it's a, it's like a philosophy so the
1: okay so it's like this is like a like i'm imagining like a menu of like philosophical ideas and like how you spend your time yes, so the, the, the,
0: the, basically. Okay. Empire, like you can you can research military technology, industrial technology or philosophies. You have to you have to choose kind of which branch you're following at any given time. And okay. like there's it touches on abolition of slavery. And the bonuses the the, the changes in your economy will be like plantations cost thirty percent more to construct. There is a uh, opinion malice of like minus two opinion for like your working class. Uh, I, I assume that's supposed to represent like the you know, larger number of people wanting a seat at the table, right? Like in in right. the political structure, and but it's at the, the very last technology in this long tree, so it really you don't have to research Also, it.
1: at least at least those two bonus, bonuses are making it sound like 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 apology slavery is basically a net wash.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's what I slavery. I do think is interesting about the total war games is that there is that that whole philosophy tree. Um, There are some things that in terms of, you know, winning the game, they will help you um, like make more money. Like, um, but then Mm -hmm. there are others like the ones that are like rationalism, I think is one or something like that. And like the ones like, um, you know, liberalism, rationalism, things like that. They actually have like pretty substantial, Negatives so when it comes to like the population will become unhappy and start clamoring for reform. Um, and possibly
1: right. So basically, modernity right. modernity is bad well, for the economy, yeah, which checks for, out,
3: right? Yeah, it's <laughs> bad for your empire, it's like, you know,
1: right? Right, which checks out. Yeah. Um, so I guess, like, I'm curious, what is, I mean, both of you played these games quite a lot. I mean, you both logged several hundred hours. Um, uh, playing a lot of games in the genre, like what, I guess, how you think, do you think like the average player goes through these things? Because it sounds like from what you're telling me, it's like, there's two ways of playing the game. One is to sort of like construct this empire that you want to in terms of like philosophy, technology, like how you actually think the world should be organized, which may or may not be the most strategic way of playing the game. And then the other way of playing the game, which I would venture to guess is probably easier and perhaps more common, is making these decisions about the ideology, like the ideology of your civilization, the structure of your civilization, based on what's most ad- advantageous strategically?
0: Um, well, I just going you know, to make the caveat so the total war series in particular is purely based on like world domination. So it's like the different victory. There are I think it's okay. four, four different victory types, but it's like the short game: conquer fifteen territories. The long game: conquer twenty-five territories. The world domination: conquer fifty. 50- Fifty territories. Yeah, I think an empire. Um, and then I- so like the other, okay. So like the other, like
1: other things may come into it, but mainly like you just want the biggest empire humanly possible in terms of like conquering the most yeah. people.
0: Yeah, and this is this is this is an empire, but most of the other games are very are similar. Like Shogun Two, the object is mm-hmm. to is to unify like half of Japan, become shogun. The Warhammer games have their own like storyline that is kind of different, than... and I haven't played those games, but I know they have a slightly different end game based on, like, a story.
2: But, so do these games, like, is there something in them that makes you think critically about them when you're playing them, or was it outside forces that made you think critically about Empire?
0: Definitely outside forces. Um, so I, re- I just read a lot of history in my free time, and so, like, I kind of read that against how these games actually work. So there's a, there's a kind of an add-on to Empire called Napoleon Total War. It was, like, a sequel... It's not really. The game purely focuses on Europe and the Napoleonic Wars, and it's all about either playing as France, fighting everyone else and conquering all of Europe, or as one of the the uh, coalition forces fighting against Napoleon. The emphasis, in, in total is largely on the battles. Like that was the initial. um like the unique part of the game when the series first developed, it was real. It was turn-based strategy, but also it had these real-time battles, and that has, lar- been, mm. has largely been the focus of the series. Like it exists to put you into these real-time battles where you can use all these cool troops and move them around the maps and 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 play strategically, and then you can go online and put, like, play multi- uh, the multiplayer battles against people. Um,
1: so, like the name suggests, war is the main focus. Right,
0: right. Um, but there is. Uh, I'm just just moving away from Total War for a second, there there are other games that do it a little differently. Like um, so there's another studio, Paradox Studios, that specializes in these grand strategy games. Um, and one of their one of their flagship games is probably their flagship game is Europa Universalis. I think they're on the fourth installment mm-hmm. of the series right now, where you play as a. It's got a grand you know, world map, and you play as a country and take over the world, build your empire. Um, the, the, their game. Paradoxes game that I'm more familiar with is Crusader Kings 2, which I think you, you play as well, Chris. You've just gotten into it.
3: Yeah, I've played a little bit. I mean, like, a, like 20 hours, which is not even enough to understand how the game works, really.
0: Sure, but, but, so in Crusader Kings, for example, you play, like, one of the crowned, in, in, like, the base game, because it has, like, 15 expansion packs, but you play one of the crowned heads of medieval Europe, like a count, a duke, king, or an emperor, um, and the object of the game is to score Points, uh, either like through personal achievement or through acts of piety, um, and to maximize your score by the end of like the medieval era. Uh, and the typical way of doing about this is to build an um, to build a kingdom or an empire, conquer lots of territory, fight the Crusades, win battles. But there are other there are other ways of playing the game. And as they mm-hmm. created all these new expansion packs to add in like Muslim factions, nomadic factions, the, the Mongols uh Indian, in, India is now an entire playable continent on the map, Uh all sorts of new religions, Zoroastrianism, uh, some of the nomadic religions, and, and Tingri, I think, is, is a religion. And so it's become more of a role-playing game. You kind of create a character, you know, or a certain religion, certain culture, and kind of try to make your dynasty, to grow your dynasty, either by conquering the world or by, you know, getting all your relatives on the thrones of Europe and and Africa and Asia. Um, you can do crazy. You can do crazy things like become, become possessed by the devil and make your horse your chancellor and that sort of thing. Like it's that's kind of where that game is going. The direction that game is gone. It's, it's 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 largely like a numbers, like a spreadsheet kind of simulator. And so the fun is in role okay. playing as a crazy character.
3: I mean, what I think makes those games, the Paradox games, and especially Crusader Kings, more interesting is is that you're not, is that you are immersed in a very similar world as what Civ and the Total War series can bring you to, Um, but the scale of it is so different and you can be, like, a Vichy in the south of France and, like, suddenly mired in these, like, petty political controversies that, like, low-level barons, you know, and, like, that's what the game is. Like, it's not about building an empire, it's just about, like, trying to survive as this like low level nobleman. Yeah. Definitely.
1: That's interesting. Because that seems like I mean that's almost like you're like it's still connected in some ways to empire like the idea of empire, but it's like the microcosm of like what it is what is it like to try and like navigate that right.
3: And then suddenly like a king, a neighboring king or your own king can give you an order that puts you in a position where you have to Fall in line or disagree with some sort of subtlety. It just, yeah, the scale changes the the whole experience.
1: I mean, cause I think one of the things I was actually when we were first talking about this episode, um, one of the things that I think, I mean, I wrote, about, I wrote about mainly um, like military simulators and sort of like, yeah, the more strategy games. But I think one of the things that I was thinking about is actually the way that kind of similar to what you're talking about, Chris, is like the issue of scale kind of makes. The logic of how this game comes across inherently different, even though it might be dealing with some of the same things. Like, I was thinking of the difference between like Sim City and The Sims, because like in The Sims, you're like managing individual people's lives, which is creepy, entertaining, but creepy. Of course, in Sim City, you're like managing a city, and it's kind of like similar to a lot of these like empire and like civilization building games in the sense that you're managing all these resources, resources and people and deciding where to put your efforts. It's a little bit, Less complex, I think. At least the versions I've played before, which has been a while, um, ideologically, and you're not conquering lands, but it is a lot of the same like logics of capitalism, of political control, and it doesn't have the kind of nuance of that what you're talking about, Chris, like that an individual experience of like, well, what do you do when the king gives you a crappy choice? Like in in, Zim, in Zim city, you're you're the you're the dictator of a city, saying like, here's here's what's going to happen to you and then the sort of, like, social and, like, human consequences of that may or may not be visible other than as, like, statistics. Right. So I'm wondering if we
2: can switch gears a little bit to uh, maybe talk about one of the questions I left on the blog post. Um, So I asked, are there games that have found different ways to explore empire that push back on, like, these types of narratives? Uh, And while we, I think, all, like, can say that Especially with civilization, it's more complicated than empire is great. Um, though it still glorifies empire. Like I, I think that there are games that have been made that are not just purely trying to say, look, it's about empire building or conquering territory. For example, uh, there's this cooperative board game, and cooperative, um, for those of you who don't know, means that like you all kind of, like players all kind of play together to like achieve a goal um you're not competing against each other in something like Risk. It's called so Spirit Island is a pretty new game and it's a game about defending your island home from colonizing invaders. Um you can read more about um a board game geek we can link to it. Um players are different spirits of the land and every turn players choose which of their power cards to play and you know they, they like their actions infect invaders but also the natives and you know it, it's it's an interesting take. There's another game that's more recent called Root which uh, I actually bought Josh for his birthday and um, it's adorable but brutal. Uh Root is a game of... Okay, I'm intrigued to say more. Uh, I think this might be the board game that you might want to play. Um, yes. It's a game called Root, uh, a game of woodland might and right. Uh, it was huge on Kickstarter. Uh, there's now two expansion packs, uh the Riverfolk and the Underworld, and you can play as an otter. Um... But uh, Yes, I want to be an honor! But uh, To to read the description from Board Game Geek, because it's just really good, the nefarious Marquis de Cat has seized the great woodland intent on harvesting its riches. Under her wo- rule, the many creatures of the forest have banded together. This alliance, which is made out of bunnies, mice, and foxes, uh, seeks to strengthen its resources and subvert the rule of the cats. In this effort, the alliance may enlist the help of the wandering vagabonds, which are raccoons, who are able to move through the more dangerous woodland paths, So some may sympathize with the Alliance's hopes and dreams. These wonders are old enough to remember the great birds of prey who once controlled the woods. And so that's the eerie who like are like looking for lands. So this is called an asymmetrical board game. And one player plays as the cat. So you start off with like the cat's controlling all of the wood. Another player can plays the Alliance and you have nothing on the board and you have to spend your time, uh, trying to gather sympathy. So every like faction has a different goal. Like the raccoons only have like one little piece, and they try and like play all the different characters with goals off each other. So, because it's asymmetrical, everyone has a different goal to win. Like Marky okay. really wants to keep their control, the alliance wants to overthrow things. Um, and Josh and I have played. And what's I think really interesting about this is like it it has empire from different points of view, even though it's you know metaphorically through animals. And uh like the alliance might seem to be.
1: I'm also very disturbed by the stereotyping of trash pandas, but yeah, know.
2: yeah, uh, the alliance you know maybe cast is like the most morally good because they just want to establish revolts and take over their homes but it's also pretty br- brutal like you can use guerrilla warfare tactics uh, i think i actually scared josh when we were playing
1: Hey, man, buddies can be vicious
2: so so yeah i mean like there, there are these different games I, I think that like you know uh michael strauss uh pointed out in the comments that like even though these narratives might have like similar goals depending on how technology has changed over time uh like how we read these games might also change because there are more
1: options. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that like I think that was a good point. It's like a lot of I mean, even some of the stuff you guys are talking about in like Civ and Total War, like is a lot more sophisticated than the games that we were playing in the '90s in terms of like simulating, especially I think it sounds like simulating like like ideological institutions, so, like religion, government, politics, things like that, which is really interesting, and I think it's also. To me, a much more like interesting, even, even if it might be problematic, like an interesting way to think about empire, because like part of the, you know, I think part of like the earlier simulations, the ones that I have had the most experience with, like it's just military conquest. There is nothing, there's like very little else, if anything. And it doesn't really account for the ways that like culture, technology, science, um, religion are all kind of like bound up in how empire unfolds. Um, so I think it's really interesting in the in like that they are becoming more sophisticated. I'm still not convinced that they're particularly like from what i from what I've seen and like I was watching some playthrough videos and things like that. They still seem to be ambivalent about like the idea of empire, if not because I think part of the thing is people were like people were talking about how these games are for entertainment and they're escapist, and that's true. But I think it's like because it's like okay, we're, we we then come to associate building an empire as something that's entertaining and and amusing, and and while that doesn't make you into someone who's a pro empire, it does normalize the idea of empire as something that's kind of like meh, like we can be ambivalent about. And I mean, I think Hannah, you brought this up in the blog post. There's a lot of was what was the statistic about the the British Empire?
2: Yes. Oh yes. This is why um, I find like this so fascinating. And so important, like how we consume Empire entertainment, particularly games where we uh, might may or may not be colonizers yeah uh, so like David Cameron uh, in particular has said a lot of things supporting Empire that I think are kind of indicative of how a lot of us um, might have encountered people talking about in that David Cameron said that like the good should be celebrated because it did a lot of good things like for example, bring t- bring technology to places. Or, like, bring education. And I, of course, disagree with that for a lot of reasons. But, uh, YouGov. And a lot of colonized communities would also disagree. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. YouGov found 44% were proud of British history of colonialism, while only 21% regret that happened. And then 23% were ambivalent. Um, and you know, like, there's, there's plenty of people in America who are very proud of our country's history, which was founded on colonialism and genocide. And like to skip over those bits. Um, and we also still have a colony. Yes. And we also still are really horrid to the indigenous people whose land we stole. So,
1: right. And I mean, I think, and I think that was, I mean, as I was saying, like, I think it's not just that by me, ma- like, it's not just that these games necessarily like, take an ideological stance on empire because that's not their intention, particularly. It sounds like most of them, but they are making it entertaining and it makes it easier to normalize. These kinds of ideas make them seem like. I mean, I think especially to me, like the idea that people are ambivalent, and that statistic about empire is like kind of interesting to me. It's like the the people who are like proud of empire or whatever, like that. You know, I, I imagine there will always be those people. Um, but like not having an opinion, just being like, eh, is is interesting to me. And I think like these games in many ways like kind of make that position more tenable because they give us. These positive associations because they're entertainment, entertaining. And especially these games where we're building an empire, like, whether you mean to or not, like, your, your, your avatar is the person building empire. So like, you're being asked to identify with the, with, with imperialization, with colonization, with all these forces, even if you personally, I mean, like both Josh and Chris, I'm not going to accuse of being, well, maybe Josh, you quote Machiavelli, so we have questions about you. Uh, that doesn't mean that, like, you're inhabiting that persona in your daily life, but it does, it does, yeah, I think, I like, I do think it, it creates positive associations that I have, I have questions about. In the same way that I have questions about, like, I love playing shooters, and I'm not sure what that says about me as a human being sometimes.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, the, the thing is that people might think that, uh, you know, empire is in the past. Like, the height of the British Empire was in the 19th century, and it's fallen. And It doesn't matter anymore, but that's not true. There's a lot of work being done showing not only the aftershocks of empire, but also how empire still continues on to this day. Right. One of our colleagues, Sonia Nyack, like does work on this. That's really great. And the thing is, is that, like we said in the beginning, risk might be old, but we still play it. Jane Eyre and Jane Austen might be old, but we still read them, and we really like them, and we keep remaking them. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, if our ideas, you know. I picked Jane Eyre and uh, Jane Austen uh, to say like, you know, there's a lot of empire that makes those romances possible and they're tied up in it. Um, if our ideas of romance, if our culture, if a lot of the things that we value are built on empire, is there even a way to get away from it? I don't know. I'm just asking questions.
1: Well, I believe it's time for our key catchphrase. Because as usual, we have solved absolutely nothing. Um... I want to thank everybody for coming today and recording with us on this wonderful topic. Uh, we are hoping to do maybe another episode on this, since it sounds like a lot of people have uh, some thoughts and some feels about the Empire games. Um, and we have a colleague at the American pop Culture Association um, who works on civilization and how it simulates or fails to simulate uh, environmental devastation. So we're hoping to have him on his future episode. So if you have further thoughts and feels about Empire and strategy games. Please share them um, on our pod, uh, on uh, our Facebook page or our podcast posting, our website. Uh, we would love to hear them and hopefully feature them in a future episode. Um, so thank you everyone for coming today. Does anyone have anything they want to plug? Hannah. Uh,
2: okay, uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Hannah Lee Rogers. Um, maybe I'll be tweeting about Empire. Maybe not. It's a it's a you know 50-50 shot. Um, for our listener who commented she's tired of playing Empire board games, uh, Angelina Kendra, uh, I would like to recommend Nuns on the Run, which is a hilarious board game where you play a novice nun trying to, like, do things in the dark and not get caught. And it's hilarious. Um, so that's... nothing. I want to play this. Uh, so, you know, more board games.
1: So that that is my plug for a random board game. Awesome. Josh, anything to plug? Not today. Other than you are officially graduated from law school. Yeah, you. Congratulations. You. You can plug yourself.
0: I, I have <laughs> another time. I have, no, I have no online presence, so. Okay, no. great. You are an enigma. I'm Chris. Chris yeah. I don't
3: have anything to plug either. Thanks for having me on. <laughs>
1: Thank you, as always. Um, so, as always, you can follow me on Instagram at just that nerd kid. It's mainly sewing content. I suppose it's about games, but, you know, it's that. Um, and, of course, you can follow v- Vox Popcast on the Twitter, I believe now the Instagram, um, Facebook, and, of course, our blog at voxpopcast.com. Uh, and remember to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded, procured, and propagated. And please leave us a review. It really helps us out by bringing people to the show. It ensures that Mav doesn't cry himself to sleep every night because he needs attention. And we actually have a review. We I do. believe, and Hannah, you have... Yes, uh, I would like to remind
2: everyone that Mav promised to name his first child after someone who left us a review. So I'm going to assume he's going to name it after the handle, Ben So congratulations, Mav's firstborn. Your name is Binwoski. Uh This is a huge plug for us. Um, the title is from a loyal but defiant listener. Quote, they said to stop listening if I hadn't seen Avengers game, because there were going to be spoilers. I hadn't seen the movie, but I listened anyway because this podcast isn't the boss of me. Take that social expectations that I experience media (laughs) as it was intended. I do what I want. A++ would self-spoil Avengers again. And as someone who would not self-spoil Avengers for anything, wow. Thank you so much for that. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that review. And if you
1: leave a review for us, we will, I won't name my firstborn, but maybe, you know, Mav will name his secondborn filed after you and we'll read it on the podcast. Um, it helps us out a lot, and we really appreciate you taking the time. Um, thanks again to our panel for coming to chat with us, and thank you for listening. Um, I'd also like to thank Maximilian at 4 Music for our theme music that is slowly building as I'm speaking. It's getting a little cool, and now we're gonna all peace out. Bye. 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 Bye.
2: Everything's gone to the pooper. We were in the forest, and only the fluffiest can survive. This isn't a world for the wheat. If you want to rule, you have to be the gosh darnest cutest and deadliest. That's all we know. That's all we have. Only taking root. Time to decide. Are you gonna control the forest? Or let other animals poop you out? Choose now and take root.